Chapter 5 of Mr. Wicker's Window. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Arthur Piantadosi, Los Angeles, California, February the 16th, 2010. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 5. Well, no, began Sally. That's a tale not everyone knows, don't you see? And Mr. Speckett would not care to be reminded of it, mark you, for reasons I shall shortly tell. His eyes, humorous as they were, took on a shrewdness under their sandy brows, as if judging the character of the boy before him and in the ability to keep a secret. First and foremost, he said, you'd best know who I am. He leaned back and hooked his thumbs under his armpits in a prideful gesture. My lad, said Neely, steadily, sitting at his chin, I'm a member of the Mirabelle's crew. The Mirabelle? Chris exclaimed. Why, it's a ship in the bottle. Aye, agreed Sally, nodding sadly. The model of it's in a bottle right enough, since it's myself that made it the last trip home from the Chinese seas. You made it yourself? Chris breathed, looking aghast at the gnarled, knotted fingers thick and roughened by work and weather, imagining to himself the delicacy of the miniature ship that lay so snugly in its transparent walls. How in the world could you get it inside? he asked. Ned wagged his head. Ah, tis a trick and a tedious thing, no mistaken, but there's time and to spare for it, coming hard from China. China? You've been there? What's it like? Chris wanted to know, his eyes eager. Silly smiled at him, a snaggletooth friendly grin. That's a tale for another time, my boy, for there's much tale in there. You wanted the story of Bucky's fine hat? Yes, yes! Well, now, began Sally, being a member of the Mirabelle and all means I see quite a bit of this port when we're home. He looked arch as if Chris must know the reason for that. On seeing as who Mistress Bucky and my first friends will, she's told me a thing or two that not everybody knows. He took a pull in the mug and wiped the froth from his lips. That seems, he began, that in her younger days, Mistress Becky had one craving. She's seen this hat she knew worlds, but a milliner's, and have it she must. No, said and the sailors, leaning forward as that story held his own interest. Now a hat of that sort cost many a shilling, and Becky worked and saved for that bonnet for over a year. He eyed Chris again closely. If you tell what I tell you, Chris lad, silently conjured him, I shall get even with you. I swear I will. But I would never want to hurt the feelings of Becky Boozer on my oath. I'll not tell, sir. Not to anyone, Chris assured him. Ned Silly seemed not satisfied. Well, no, hunched closer to his chair. It seems at long last you'd paid for that bonnet and decided to wear it to the spectacle that very afternoon. The spectacle? Chris suggested, his forehead wrinkled. What's that? Eckled Haley. You are a country boy. What a spectacle where the players are. The theatre. What else? Oh, said Chris said shortly and thought of television and mo the movies and held his tongue. He was beginning to try to fit himself into two centuries before his own time. Yes, took up Surly. So, as I was saying, Mr. Spoozer being young and flighty in them days and rightful proud of the bonnet she had took so long to earn, wore it to the spectacle. Together with their best gown, 
Now, as you seem not acquainted with that yeter, my lad, let me tell you that we give it here and here in any hole standing vacant, and out of doors in fair weather. We set the benches in the rows for those that pay for seats. He pulled out an evil-smelling clay pipe and stuffed it with tobacco, tamping it down with one grubby forefinger, and when it was well lit, pointed the stem at Chris by way of emphasis. Mr. Specky gets herself a good place on this occasion, and sits herself down, and tossing of her feathers and her flowers, and is proud as a peacock. Every inch of her, the people park the benches, and the performance then begins. Rightly. And sadly, jammed the ipe stem at Chris. Rightly, only Lady Sequility rare such hits as Becky wore. And should they go to the spectacle, which would be doubtful, for the crowd makes no place for gentlewomen, they would be sitting off apart, don't you see? But Becky starts bang in the centre of the hole, and you've seen the hat. Tis big enough for two, and no mistake, and spreads a low along as well as up. Well, the time came to begin. The players came out on the stage, as speaking of their parts and a brandishing of their arms, as they do, when all at once a gentleman sitting behind Becky Boozer leaned forward and asked her, ever so polite, Madam, says he, please be so good as to remove your bonnet. Here Siley leaned forward one hand on his shoulder to facilitate a bow, aping as best he could the speech and manners of a gentleman. In a flash he resumed her his own character and turned to Chris. Well, did you take it off? that demanded of Chris, frowning with concentration, who was asked with rare politeness. Anyone who could agree to that? He shook his head solemnly. Why, no, Master Christopher, that she did not. Our Becky had just paid the final pence upon that hat, and after a year, seven months, and eighteen days, the hat was hers. She wanted all but holders to admire it. What cared she if the gentleman seated on the bench behind her saw more of her bonnet than the pl the play? In Becky Boozer's opinion, twas more than fair exchange, so she tossed her head, did back in, dying not even of a reply. Siley tossed his own sun blenched thatch and pursed up his mouth in imitation of Becky. Then, with another rapid change of grimace, he squinted up his eyes to signify the growing intensity of the situation, and leaning halfway across the table, shoved the dishes... Pies and pickles out of his way with his elbows. His deep voice sang to a husky whisper. So the performance went on, and neither a glimpse of it did the poor gentleman see, seated as he was behind our Becky Boozer. So once more he bends forward and speaks at her ear. Urgent luck. Sally's eyebrows rose and fell with his agitation. So strong was the grip of the story upon him, it was evident that he fancied himself at the play and could see the whole thing before him as plain as day. The poor gentleman says again, he took up, Madam, he says, I beg of you, please to be so kind. Nothing respectable can I see. Please, and be so good, and to remove your hat. And would you believe it, my lad? No. Ned silently shook his head from side to side. No, no, you would not. He leaned back, waving his hand as if to wipe away any lingering doubt in Chris's mind. Mr. Bepicaboozer was that proud. That proud, he dropped his voice, that not for the world would she remove her bonnet. Dear me, no. She tossed her head again, feeling all them plumes a-tossing too, and sat up straighter than before. And she a tall woman. Master Siley took a red bandana handkerchief from his coat-tail pocket and mopped his face, so excited and heated had he been, come at his own telling of the tale. Then once more he leaned forward confidently. Well, little did she dream, our Rebecca Boozer. For when she tossed her head the second time and made no motion to remove her hat, the gentleman bent toward her and 
No doubt his words were for her alone, and this is what he said. Ed Stanley's blue eyes popped, and he cupped his hand on the side of his mouth so that his words could carry no further than the few inches dividing the boy and the man. He said, and so she told me, it did sound like a roar of thunder, though no one else seemed to be aware of it. So then, Rebecca Boozer, wear your hat, the gentleman said. The devil himself shall have no power to take it off on you. And do you know, whispered Siley in a row rumble, his eyes starting out of his head as if it were Urgris's own. "'Tis our belief it must have been the devil himself who sat behind her. For from that very time, Rebecca Boozer has been unable to ruin that hat, neither by pushing, pulling, prying, steaming, cutting, tearing, nor by any method whatsoever. The devil it was! The devil it must have been!' Master Siley, exhausted by his recital, fell back in his chair with just enough strength left to replenish his pewter mug from a jug of ale. Then, refreshed, he set the mug down, wiped his lips, and cocked an eye at Chris, who stood staring at him open mouth. Try it yourself, he suggested, wagging his head. I have. You'll not be able to heave it off, but I promise you. That heart is there for good and all. Mistress Boozer will doubtless be buried in that bonnet. He cocked his head the other way. And what do you think of that? Ed Silly inquired. After a long and thoughtful pause, Chris found his voice. Mr. Siley, he said respectfully, does she... does she... sleep in it? He asked. The picture of the elephantine Becky Boozer with the counterpane under her chin and the hat with twenty-four red roses and twelve waving black plumes rising above the pillow took hold of the sailor's fancy. He tipped back in his chair and laughed till he cried. And as he was coughing and spluttering, Mistress Boozer herself came rustling out of the passage joy and out across the kitchen the, the table. Be off with you, boy, she cried. You and Siley, you're two of a kind, that's plain to be seen. She looked from one to the other, and Chris decided that it was a good thing for him that Becky likened him to the object of her doting. Master Siley, get along with you, she cried again, pulling Jess out of his chair with a stock collar. You are wanted by the master in his study, so look sharp. It's down the passage and to your right, like he said, and knock before you go in. Chris started off, but in the dusk of the passage he looked back in time to see Becky Boozer lost in tittering giggles and wild blushes as Master Siley, reaching up as high as his arm would go, chucked her under the chin. And Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 5